Relationship Alive is sponsored in part by listeners like you. If you find the show to be helpful and would like to make a contribution, just visit neilsatin.com slash support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And today's show is also sponsored in part by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you choose from over 1,500 licensed therapists. Get matched with your perfect therapist who can put you on the path to a happier life and a thriving relationship. For a special offer for you, visit Talkspace.com slash alive. Also, many of the things that we're going to talk about in this episode require a lot of really great communication between you and your partner. If you're interested in learning how to communicate in relationships so that no matter what you're talking about, the good things or the challenging things, you can become more connected with your partner, then please consider downloading my free guide to my top three relationship communication secrets. To do that, all you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash relate, or you can text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. Okay, I think that's everything. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. As usual, we're going to start out with some questions. And these are basic questions. How do you, how do you apologize effectively so that if there's been a rupture in a relationship of yours, your apology can help lead to healing and possibly a continuation of your relationship on better terms. And what do you do when the people who hurt you won't apologize? How do you, how do you handle those situations? And there's also this lingering question about forgiveness. Is forgiveness really essential? Is that an essential part of the whole equation of a rupture, anger, apology, do you have to forgive? I'm not so sure. And today we are going to dive deep into the question of how you apologize and all of the other things that I just touched on with our esteemed guest, Dr. Harriet Lerner, who is visiting us for a second time. Her first episode on Relationship Alive was episode 12, so way back in the beginning. And in that episode, we talked about her classic book, still ever as relevant today as it was when it was written, called The Dance of Anger. And in that book, uh, Harriet talks about how to turn your anger into a force for good, how to make that something that's actually positive in your life and generates power and energy to keep your relationship vital. And I encourage you to listen to that episode. However, it's not a prerequisite for today's conversation. And today we are going to be talking about Harriet Lerner's new book called Why Won't You Apologize? Healing Big Betrayals and Everyday Hurts. The book has been out since earlier in 2017, and in October, it is coming out in paperback. So it will be available for you in paperback by the time you are listening to this conversation. Harriet Lerner, it is such a pleasure to have you here with us today again on Relationship Alive. I am glad to be back. 
Thank you. And uh, as a quick reminder, we're going to have a detailed conversation. We'll have a detailed show guide to help you remember what we talked about. To get that, you can visit neilsatin.com slash apologize, or you can simply text the word passion to the number 33444 if you're in the States and follow the instructions, and I'll send you a link where you can download the show guide. So Harriet, this book seems like a perfect complement to The Dance of Anger because the apology, hopefully, especially in terms of our close romantic relationships, is something that happens after anger happens in our relationship. So I'm wondering if you can start by talking about this question of how to know when it's even time to apologize is it is it always like best to do right there in the moment when something happens or is there a question of timing and knowing how to uh, knowing how to when to apologize as part of how to apologize i would say first that the apology is just so important because we're all connected we all screw up we all unwittingly hurt others just as we are hurt by them So the need to give and receive apologies is with us until our very last breath. In terms of timing, if we're aware that we've hurt someone, then it's good to apologize right there and then. But often it may occur to us a day later, a week later, decades later, that we have hurt someone, perhaps even a child who's now an adult, and it's never too late to apologize. It's never too late to find a place in the conversation to return to an earlier time and make your apology. So what do we mean by the word apology? What, What is that process all about? Well, you know, that depends what you're apologizing for, because it's one thing to spill red wine on your friend's carpet, and it's another thing to to sleep with her husband. I mean, there are some hurts that are very small, and there's some that are very large. So if it's a small hurt, a heartfelt, I am so sorry, will do. Um, If it's a large hurt, it can be a long-distance run. Yeah, and and is it something like, like how important are the words I'm sorry in the context of apologizing to another person? The words I'm sorry are very important. I mean, I do believe that the two words I'm sorry are the two most important words in the English language. Um, They are so healing. It's one of the greatest gifts that we can give to another person to, to say and really mean it, I am so sorry. So those words can allow the hurt party to feel safe and soothed in the relationship. And it shows them that we care about their feelings and that we're capable of taking responsibility for what we've said and done or not said or done. 
So those words are very important, but often they're not enough because it's not just the words, I'm sorry, that heals a real injury. The hurt party wants to know that we really get it, that we really can validate and care about their feelings, that we can carry some of the pain that we've caused them to feel. So it may take many conversations to really convey, yes, I get it. I screwed up. I was wrong. Your feelings make sense. Um, I want you to know that I'm going to be thinking about this. So often listening, I know that listening isn't a very sexy subject, but the ability to really listen to the hurt party's anger or pain is a really important part of an apology. Because if we're talking about something that is a big hurt, no apology will have meaning if we haven't listened carefully to the hurt party's anger and pain. And what do you do in a situation where it's clear that you've pissed someone off or hurt them and they don't seem willing, you want to be able to make, to repair the the connection, but they don't seem willing to actually share that with you, how, how you hurt them or how what you did impacted them. Well, it's never useful to pursue and pressure somebody for a conversation they don't want to have or they're not ready to have. So I think if the other person doesn't want to talk to us about it, I think it's quite sufficient to say, you know, I, un- I understand and I respect the fact that you don't want to have this conversation and I just want you to know that I'm so sorry and that when and if the time comes that you would like to share more with me, I want you to know that I am here to listen. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine that being really powerful to hear um, and even really soothing to speak because there's, there's something in when you know that you have hurt someone or angered someone, that creates an imbalance within you as well. Um, so anything that you can do to help restore what's happening internally within you also seems just as important. Exactly, because the heartfelt apology is not just a gift that we give to the other person. It's also a gift to the self, because our self-respect and our level of maturity and our level of integrity, and it doesn't matter if we're talking about you know, a parent and child, or we're talking about the the political situation or a work situation, that our level of self-worth rests on our ability to see ourselves objectively and to take a clear-eyed look at the way our behavior affects others and to be able to assume unequivocal responsibility for acting at another person's expense. 
So it's also a way to show ourselves that we have worth and integrity. It's a gift to the self, the apology, as much as it's a gift to the other person, I I believe. Mm, so uh, this brings me to a question, and, and maybe I'll preface this with a, with a quick anecdote, because this was actually kind of funny. Um, I... Just a, a, a couple weeks ago, um, I had been out with the kids all day. Chloe, my wife, was home and she wasn't feeling that well that day. And so I kind of made the executive decision that I was going to stay out of the home, stay out of her hair with the kids so she could have some space. And, you know, I had all kinds of good reasons for why I was out of the house. But I got home and Chloe was really angry and hurt that. I had just left her home all day, feeling under the weather and not having us around. And for and we're we're really good about our communication, but uh-huh. I could tell that what she really wanted from me was and was an apology. And I had so many good reasons for why I had done what I had done. And it was, of course, I had her best interests at heart. You know, these are all the things that are running through me. But I could tell in that moment, all I had to do was to just say, wow, you know, I'm I'm really sorry. I'm hearing how this impacted you, my being gone all day and um, and that would have made a huge difference. Just saying that in and of itself I can tell you're really upset, um, and but I didn't. And then what was even funnier was that there was a package waiting for me on the front steps, and I opened it up, and within it was your book, Why Won't You Apologize? <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, so I, I held that up, and we both kind of chuckled about it. And, um, and I, I noticed, of course, the double entendre in the title, like, why won't you apologize? I could see, you know, being an offended party who's asking someone, why won't you apologize? And I could see it being like directed at me. Uh, And I was wondering in that moment, like, yeah, why, why won't I apologize? Like that's, that's clearly all that's really called for right here. So what is the big obstacle for people in when it could be so easy? What's so challenging about it? Humans are wired for defensiveness. So, for example, in the situation you describe with Chloe, taking the high road, being your best self, which we so often are not when we're living with someone under the same roof, if you had been your best self, you would have said, you know, I apologize, I'm really sorry. Because what I should have done was to ask you, Chloe, what will make things better for you? Do you prefer that I hang around with the kids or do you prefer I take them out and get them out of your hair? And Chloe, I didn't do that. I just made an assumption. I left with them and I'm really sorry. So that is the mature, correct thing to do. Um, but we are, we are wired for defensiveness. So it's more likely, for example, in that situation, say, um, you know, I might have just reacted and said, you know, I was doing you a favor. It was more work for me to take the kids out. And now you're criticizing me. And I have a cell phone. If you wanted me to come back, why the hell didn't you like get on the phone and 
and call me. So, <laughs> you know, I know that, for example, well, of course, being a relationship expert, I am a great apologizer. And on a personal <laughs> note, a champion with my husband, Steve, for example, I am very good at apologizing for exactly my share of the problem, as I calculated, of course. And <laughs> interestingly, it's never been more than 47% in our decades <laughs> of marriage. And I also expect Steve to apologize for his share, also, as I calculate it. And uh, we don't always do the same math. So it's very easy for... Uh, you know, for people to get into arguments that just go downhill, sort of the theater of the absurd, like, you know, I'm not going to apologize first. You were 63% to blame and, you know, you should apologize and et cetera, et cetera. So it's not easy. It is, uh, to sum it up, when I say we're wired for defensiveness, what I mean is it's very hard for humans to take clear and direct responsibility for what we what we have said or done or not said or done without a hint of blaming vagueness obfuscation excuse making bringing up the other person's crime sheet um, it takes motivation and goodwill and a genuine wish for a better relationship. So this is not easy stuff. Oh my goodness. One sec, I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, hi, mom? Yeah, I know, yeah, I said I was gonna call you and I forgot, right. I know, I'm mom, I'm so sorry. I said I would call, I didn't call you when I said, and Right now, I'm in the middle of an interview. Yeah. I know it's important. Um, Mom, could I, could I call you back in half an hour? I will definitely call you back this time. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks, Mom. Talk to you later. Love you. Bye. <sighs> and before I do, I just might text my therapist. Today's episode is brought to you by Talkspace.com, where you can send your therapist text, audio, and video messages anytime you want, or even do a live video chat. They make it easy to connect with an experienced licensed therapist that you pick based on your preferences for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy. Talkspace therapists are fully licensed and go through a rigorous screening process, in addition to thousands of hours of supervised professional training. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com alive. And as a special offer for you, you can use the coupon code alive to get $30 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com alive and the coupon code alive for $30 off. Thank you, Talkspace, for sponsoring today's episode. And now, back to the show. Yeah, and we've actually addressed on the show over and over again how once you or your partner is is triggered and, and dysregulated, 
really job one is to come is to notice that and come back into regulation. And in fact, I think we even spoke about that back in the dance of anger that that it's hard to do anything that you know would be productive and positive when every ounce of your system is focused on either fighting or flighting. Um, exactly. We're wired for fight or flight. We are wired for distance and blame when things get intense so that if we want to offer a good apology, it's always a good idea to calm down first. Mm. And I'm wondering if we can just touch too on the role of shame. Um, something I notice so clearly, like when my son, for instance, who's 10, like when he does something and you know, he whacks his sister or whatever. And it's so obviously was him just being out of line. And again, all he'd have to do is say, wow, Zella, are you okay? I'm really sorry. Um, but for him, I can see the impact of of accepting responsibility. It's really challenging for him, even though it's so clear what happened. And it, it seems like that's that that comes down to some weird... Well, I don't. I, I don't really want to call it weird because it seems like something most of us do. But some connection between accepting responsibility and the shame we feel. Right, and it's always more complicated than the way that we punctuate it. For example, you may see it that your son quote started it unquote, and in fact, we don't know all the factors. No one can know, even your son, impinging on your son what he might be anxious about, what the person he whacked might have done to him yesterday out of your sight. Right. Um, and very often, your, your point about shame is extremely important because when people feel shame, they cannot apologize. Um, the ability to apologize, and let's go back to grown-ups, since I assume that all of our listeners are grown-ups. Right. Um, if you're under the age of 18, <laughs> you should seek your parents' right. permission. Exactly. Or under the age of five. Um, when I've studied people who really will never apologize, they will never apologize. They'll never orient toward reality. They'll never see themselves clearly. They'll never feel remorse. They are people who uh, carry a lot of shame because in order to offer a heartfelt apology for serious offense, you know, for really hurting someone, a person needs to have a solid platform of self-worth to stand on. And then if they're standing on this platform of self-worth, from this higher vantage point, the person can look out at their bad behavior and they can apologize because they see their mistakes as part of a much larger, more complex, ever-changing picture of who they are as a human being. But people, some people and especially those who do serious harm, stand on a small rickety platform of self-worth 
and they're unable to own up to the hurt they've caused. They're unable to really get it because doing so threatens to flip them into an identity of worthlessness and shame. So the non-apologizer walks on a tightrope of defensiveness above a huge canyon of low self-esteem. And part of the reason, you know, going back to kids, part of the reason that kids often won't apologize is that parents or teachers unwittingly shame them. And rather than talking about specific behaviors, like, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't kind of you to say what you said to your little brother, the parent might say, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe that you're the kind of person who would do this thing. What's, what's wrong with you? I mean, I have said that to my husband, Steve, when he brings home too many overripe bananas, sort of like, what's wrong with you? You know, you've <laughs> brought home five totally ripe bananas. We're not big banana eaters, and three of them are going to go into the compost, compost bin. So far, so good, because I'm talking about the facts. But then if I'm having a really low self-esteem day, <laughs> I might shift into well, you know, what kind of person are you? Like, what kind of person are you, Steve, that you don't care about food rotting in a world where people are going hungry? And um, so then I leap to, I leap from the facts, you know, three bananas are going to end up in the compost bin, don't do this next time, to questioning what sort of person he is and, you know, that he's being a bad world citizen. And of course he's going to get defensive. Of course, he's not going to apologize because I'm shaming him. Of course, he's going to say, as he did, well, if you don't like the way I shop, you know, do the shopping yourself. So when we shame someone and we overdo it, you know, we want the apology, but we sort of go at them with our guns blazing we're not going to get the apology. And that is a very common dynamic between the offender and the offended. And I, I like that you brought that up, one, because that anecdote in your book was so funny that I read it to Chloe and we laughed <laughs> about that. Um, but also because I think a lot of people in relationship, I hear from a lot of listeners who are like, you know, we're having these arguments or these things are happening and, you know, is maybe something's wrong. I think particularly once people leave the honeymoon phase of their relationship and start arguing, they think, uh-oh, you know, I made a mistake. And I think it's helpful to hear that actually – these things happen in real life with people who are masters of relationship and what one ought to do. It doesn't always happen so cleanly. What, what's important is the resiliency of your relationship and your ability to repair after that. That's right. That's right. So I'm wondering, um, what is a good way to ask for an apology if you feel like one is if, if you feel like you deserve one, 
Well, it's not useful to insist on an apology. And often, for example, in couples, when one person, um, more often the wife, you know, insists on an apology, the other person, you know, they feel like a child. They feel then that they're not, they don't have the space really to give a genuine apology. They're just trying to shut the other person up or, or quiet them, or they're not going to apologize at all. They'll, they'll dig their heels in. The biggest mistake that people make when we want an apology is to overtalk it, to overdo it. Like we were just talking about, Neil, you know, coming at the other person with our guns blazing and, and bringing up their crime sheet and you lose people. You know, when you go on and on and you over talk a criticism, you lose the other person. They will basically emotionally leave the con you know, leave the conversation. And in that sense you protect them because they don't have to be accountable. They'll just get more defensive. So what is much more effective, you know, let's say that I was in a conversation with a friend and, and what she said, you know, really hurt my feelings. And I, I felt it was very insensitive and um, that she was putting me down. I'm not going to get an apology if I come at her with criticism and blame sort of like what's wrong with you and, and how could you treat me like that? And I thought you were better than that. And, um, you know, you ruined my day, if not my life, it's much more powerful and it puts the other person much more on the spot. Say in that example, if I said to my friend, you know, in, in that conversation, when I left that conversation, I felt like a smaller person. I felt like you didn't respect me. And I don't know if that was your intention, um, but I wanted to share that with you because I would like to hear your perspective. And sometimes... And I think our listeners will be able to relate to this. I know it's true for me. It's much harder for me to say it's shorter. It's much harder for me to say that hurt my feelings and then leave the empty space. It, it's easier for me to deliver a small lecture. Um, <laughs> so say it's shorter. You know, saying it's shorter is a real skill. And I can't remember if I talked about it in The Dance of Anger, but I talk about it in Why Won't You Apologize? Because the longer the word count, the more likely the other person is going to vacate the emotional premises. And it's really interesting because when I was writing, um, it was the mother dance. When I was writing the mother dance, and I had interviewed hundreds of kids, and I asked the question, what could your mom 
or dad do to make the family better? And the overwhelming response was, say it shorter, mom, or, or say it shorter, <laughs> dad. Like, you know, you tell me to clean my room, but then you go on and on about responsibility. And like, I can't even remember the first thing that you said. So it is a great skill to be able to be clear and direct and to say it shorter. And longer conversations, of course, will be necessary for some subjects. But the initial conversation or confrontation, if you want an apology, will go best if you can say it shorter without criticism or blame. Because, Neil, even the most difficult things, anything that we want to say can be said with kindness. And so I am, yeah, it's so important because I am not telling listeners to be some kind of goody two-shoes and sugarcoat things. When you say something with kindness, like that hurt my feelings and I left our conversation feeling like a smaller person that you don't respect, that is not um, being a goody two-shoes. That's putting the other person on the hot seat because rather than throwing fuel on the fire and making sure that, that you know, they're going to protect themselves with their defensiveness, you are really inviting them to think about your feelings and and the effect of their behavior on how you felt. Mm, Yeah, that feels like it's also related to what we were talking about a few minutes ago with the question of dealing with a non-apologizer. It seems like before you would conclude that you're, say, with someone who isn't an apologizer, that it's maybe more helpful to decide if you're even creating space for someone to apologize to you through those kinds of statements that you're talking about. Exactly. And ideally, we're going to keep a double vision on this. We're going to consider how our own behavior is making it more difficult for the other person to have the space to really apologize And sometimes we also have to accept that certain people will never apologize, that some people will never apologize. Mm, Yeah. Um, Do you have a quick hint on how you could know whether what category the person that you're relating to, what category they fall into, someone who might eventually get it or someone who'll never get it? You can be your very best self and keeping it short, experimenting with bringing up the painful subject without criticism or blame, saying it's shorter. You can experiment. And we learn about other people by having the courage to vary our behavior and try different experiments. And I think... 
um, that when you're dealing with a very large hurt, now we're addressing the hurt party now, the injured party. Um, I work with many adults who want to go back to a parent and they want to bring up something very, very painful. Uh, it might be sexual abuse. It might be that they felt very neglected during a divorce that occurred when they were seven years old. But it's something very big that the, the most mature and powerful position to be in if you're going to bring up a large offense is to understand what we were talking about earlier, that if that person is filled with shame, which they probably are, if what you're saying threatens to flip them into an experience of being a bad mother, that they will not be able to apologize, that you may never get the apology that you want and deserve. So the important point here, Neil, that I would like all of our listeners to appreciate is that the best reason to bring up something painful that you really want your mom or dad or your sister or Uncle Charlie or best friend to get, the best reason to bring it up is because you need and want to hear your own voice speaking the truth about what you really believe and what you know to be true. And to understand when you bring it up that the apology that you want may never be forthcoming and you may still decide to speak. Because if you're bringing up something very, very painful, again, I'm talking about large hurts, um, then we're back to the issue of people who do really bad things carry a lot of shame and the apology won't be forthcoming. And it doesn't mean that person doesn't love you. It doesn't mean your mother doesn't love you or your father doesn't love you. This has nothing to do with love. It has to do with they are standing on such a rickety platform of self-worth that they can't let themselves really get it. That, of course, we all long to hear I really get it. I screwed up. You know, I was wrong. It made your feelings make total sense because what happened in the family was so hurtful and so crazy. You know, I I wish I could go back in time and undo it, but I can't. I mean, we we long to hear that. Um but that typically it's not what will be forthcoming. Right. It, it could take some time. And, and like you said earlier on, that could be one of those long journey kinds of conversations that, that evolves over time. Well, the long journey part, um, in, in the case I'm talking about, the challenge 
when you have really approached someone important in the best way that you know how and you've opened the conversation and the person just wraps themselves in layers of denial and minimization and excuses Mm -hmm. and even it never happened and you overreacted or, you know, actually you caused it by your own behavior. There were no alternatives. You know, then the challenge for the hurt party, the injured party, is to understand that that apology will not be forthcoming and that we need to heal and move forward in our lives without it. Because none of us want to, you know, none of us want to be woken up three o'clock in the morning, you know, every night with, and that's when the anxious ruminative brain likes to wake us up (laughs) at three, three in the morning, you know, sort of ruminating about how could this person do this to me? You know, how could they do this to me? And, Uh, That's not useful for us because we're ruminating and we're losing sleep and that other person might be having a great day at the beach. Right. And I do, I want to come back, if we have time, to this question of how do you heal and how do you let go when an apology hasn't happened? And that question of forgiveness that I raised at the very beginning. But before I do... I'm realizing that we've gone this whole time and we haven't really talked that much about what makes for an effective apology or maybe on the flip side, what are some common mistakes that people make that render their apologies ineffective? That's a very important subject because there's not one of us listening to this who hasn't mucked up an apology because of our defensiveness, which is normal and human, but defensiveness is also the arch enemy of connection and intimacy. So let me mention some ways that we muck it up. The first way is with the word, but. I'm sorry I yelled at you, but you really provoked me. Or I'm sorry I forgot your birthday, but I was so flooded with work. I I was just forgetting everything. The word, that little word, but, always signals a rationalization, a criticism, or an excuse. It doesn't matter if what you say after the but is true. The but makes your apology false. So rule number one, get your but out of your apology. (laughs) The second way that we muck up an apology, and this is a very important one to, you know, we need to wrap our brains around. We focus on the other person's reactions and feelings rather than focusing on our own behavior. So it's not an apology to say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry that the joke I told at the meeting made you upset, or I'm so sorry that you were angry when I corrected your stories at the party. It wasn't my intention to make you angry. That is not an apology. There is no accountability. The apology always is an apology for your behavior. I'm sorry 
that I told that joke at the meeting because it was sexist and it was inappropriate and I will not do it again. Or I'm sorry that I corrected your stories at the party. You told me that you don't like that. I was wrong and I want you to know I won't do it again. So stay alert when you get an apology if that person is really sort of reversing the blame by implying that your feelings are the problem and really you're a pretty oversensitive person. Um, And obviously, going on to other ways we muck up an apology, obviously an apology is empty. If we continue the very behavior we're apologizing for or if we don't offer a reparation when a reparation is due And finally, and this will tie in with some of the more in-depth issues we were talking about before, Neil, an apology should not be a quick way out of a difficult conversation, you know, a way to shut the other person up. Like, I told you 10 times that I'm sorry about the affair. Like, you know, why do you keep bringing it up? Why do you keep holding on to it? Um, an apology, a real apology means that we will be available to keep our hearts open and listen to the pain and anger of the other person rather than saying, I, you know, I, I told you I was sorry, like enough, you know. Um, so those are some of the major ways that we muck up an apology. I want to mention um, an apology that I just heard at the airport very, very recently that um, you don't need to be an apology expert to know that this is not a good apology. A mother was smacking her small crying child and saying to him, I am so sorry that you make me do this. Uh, That is what we call a blame-reversing apology. So there's so many ways, both obvious and subtle and sneaky, that we can undo our apologies or not be really accountable in our apologies or imply the other person's feelings or reactions or sensitivity are really the problem. So, and and you were talking a moment ago about um, creating space to really hear the person that was wronged, and um, and I think you even bring up uh, Janice Abrams Springs' work where she talks about um, in the case of affairs um, being willing to bring up this the subject that you're afraid might might uh, be the sore subject for the person that you've offended as a way of of showing them that you actually care about it and and making it giving them opportunities to uh, tell you exactly what's going on for them. Yes, Janet Abrams Spring uh, in talking about affairs has a wonderful concept called the the transfer of vigilance where for example the husband who had the affair 
might come in and say to the therapist, I can't stand it anymore. My wife is obsessed. I need her to stop, to stop thinking about this and to stop bringing it up. And what Janice would say is, you need to bring it up. You need to show her that you're carrying some of the pain, that you're thinking about it. Because the more you try to muzzle her, the more obsessed she will become. So that the person who did the harm, you know, we always wait for the hurt or traumatized person to bring it up. You know, let's say that your sister brings up sexual abuse or something, you know, terrible that happened to her. It may not occur to you as the listener and let, or as the witness, meaning it happened in your family. It may not occur to you to say to her, you know, I'm so sorry that this happened in our family. I have been thinking a lot about what you've told me and how painful that must be. And is there, is there more that you've thought about that, that you haven't told me? Instead, we tend to think to ourselves, well, you know, if the other person doesn't bring it up again, I'm not going to bring it up. It's their thing to bring up. Well, the only reason it's the traumatized person's job to bring it up or the hurt party's job to bring it up is no one else is revisiting it. So I like Janice Abrams Springs' work very much because she reminds us that, say, in the case where we have inflicted a large hurt or betrayal, that we might bring it up. We might check in to say, how are you doing with that? You know, I've been thinking about how badly, you know, I, I hurt the foundation of our relationship by what I did. And I'm just wanting to check in with you. How are you doing with that? So the moral of the story is when you've inflicted harm, don't use I'm sorry to shut the other person, to muzzle the other person, shut the other person up. And if you're curious, we did also have an interview with Janice Abrams Spring. That episode was episode 36, and she'll probably come back on the show at some point. Um, Harriet, I'm wondering, what are the keys to a good apology? We've talked about I'm sorry, and you've offered some ways of reflecting back to, um, to the person that you've hurt um, in ways that that show remorse. And I'm just wondering if there are, are keys that are required in almost any good apology. In a good apology, we don't do any of the mucking up things that we just talked about, you know, the butt, the, so don't do those. the other person's <laughs> feeling, you know, reactions, saying, I'm sorry if, I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry if you took that to be sexist or racist. Oh, that that one drives me crazy when I hear that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we need to give a reparation where one is done. We may need to check in to continue listening. So a true apology, it involves caring about the relationship. 
and the other person. And as we said earlier, it involves a sincere accepting responsibility for our part of the problem. No mixed messages, no evasion, no excuse making, no saying, well, I apologize for this, but you know, you did that. You can bring up the that in a different conversation, not in your apologies. And to be able to do that and to be able to give that apology, even when the other person's feelings seem exaggerated, and even when they can't see their own contribution to the problem, that we can apologize for our part. It's, it's a tall order, but it's worth it. It's, it's difficult, and it's worth it. Yeah, and it has happened time and time again in my own relationship, as well as those that I've witnessed and my clients, that being willing to take responsibility for your own actions ultimately de-escalates and, and more often than not does allow the other person to step forward and, and take responsibility for their part after exactly, all. Exactly, exactly. Well so said. Harriet, I'm wondering if we, if we could take a few minutes here at the end to chat about this concept of when you've received an apology, should you forgive? What is forgiveness anyway? And, and how do you distinguish forgiveness from, from letting go and doing what you need to do in order to heal when you have been hurt? In my book, Why Won't You Apologize?, I have a chapter that's titled something like, correct me if I have this wrong, you need to forgive and other lies that hurt you. Because it is not true that you need to forgive in order to let go of bitterness and anger and hate and move forward in your own life. There are many ways to find peace. And there are so many myths in the culture that you have to forgive. And if you don't forgive, you're not a spiritually whole person. And, um, you know, you're going to be mired down in bitterness, et cetera, et cetera. And, And this isn't true. And because many people believe that forgiveness, like gratitude, is a universally healing emotion. And by the way, Neil, I do believe that gratitude is a, is a healing emotion. But some people think that people have to forgive. And when we pressure people to forgive, we leave the hurt party feeling alone and abandoned and betrayed all over again. You know, I hear, I hear, for example, a parent or sibling say to someone who's been harmed, past or present, um, can't you forgive him? You know, what your dad did happened a long time ago. He did the best he could. You need to forgive and move on and not live in the past and let this go. This kind of pressure or advice, you know, you need to forgive him, 
they're the last words that a hurt party needs to hear. And it's one thing to tell someone you care about that you hope that they can find a way to protect themselves from carrying so much anger and pain. We all need to do that. You know, we all need to soothe our reactive brains and learn how to stop the obsessing. But it's another thing entirely to suggest that they should forgive someone who has never for one second earned that forgiveness or to act as if they should absolve the wrongdoer and transcend their legitimate anger and pain by some act of will or grace. So, you know, we don't have time to explore the forgiveness um, subject in more depth, but I do want to make the point that it is no one else's job to tell you that you have to forgive a non-apologetic wrongdoer. You do have to free yourself from the corrosive aspects of bitterness and hate that are keeping you stuck. But this may or may not require forgiveness. And and I, I think it might also be worth adding, too, that you'd also don't have to forgive people who apologize to you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because sometimes a hurt or a wrongdoing was so dramatic that that the relationship can't be repaired. And you might even say, you know, if you can, you can grab the maturity, I appreciate your apology. I appreciate the fact that you've thought about it. But then if the person says, well, let's have lunch next week, you might need to say, you know, in truth, while I appreciate the apology, there has been so much water under the bridge that for me, I can't comfortably resume the friendship. Um, if it's, you know, if it's been a really serious betrayal. Yeah, and that comes down to what you were just talking about, which is someone understanding themselves and what it takes to let go of the anger and bitterness. You know, if they can manage that through forgiveness and reconnecting, then great. And if they know enough, if they know themselves well enough to know that they can't, then that self-care is probably more important in most circumstances. And I want to make the point, Neil, that these two paths, the path of deep forgiveness and the path of letting go, that both paths are worthy. I have worked with people who have a profound ability and commitment to forgiving people who have done the, the, the worst misdeeds. And these people might have a spiritual or religious practice of forgiveness and they may surround the wrongdoer in white light. They may pray that the wrongdoer who's never apologized, they may pray that this person is happy and safe and well. 
And I have a great deal of respect for that path. And another person might say, um, I do not forgive a non-apologetic wrongdoer who doesn't care enough or isn't able to get it or orient toward reality or listen to my feelings for one minute. You know, I do not forgive this person who hasn't earned my forgiveness, but uh, I'm in a process of letting go, learning, you know, in my therapy or meditation or however you do it, I'm in a process of letting go. I'm not going to carry that person anymore on my back or inside my brain or in my body. You know, I'm working to be free of that. Um, But no, I don't forgive the person. And of these two paths, one being a deep spiritual forgiveness and the other being that we don't forgive the non-apologetic offender, but we are working um, on letting go and resolution. One is not better or worse. And we live in a culture that pushes the um, forgiveness path. So I, I want to make that point. And I, I talk about this at yeah. length, and why won't you apologize? I don't mean to sound like yeah, a thank big you for... meanie, Neil. <laughs> you know, I don't want to sound like a meanie <laughs> that doesn't believe in forgiveness. But I, I actually think that chapter, you know, um, you need to forgive another lies that hurt you, actually in some ways is the most important chapter in the book. Yeah, and uh, so I appreciate your making that distinction. And I agree that that is one of the chapters that had the most profound impact on me. And, uh, and I'm also glad that you brought up the, the just ability to say thank you for your apology. Um, that was another thing that when I read it, I was like, oh yeah, of course. Like That's not necessarily an automatic response when someone offers an apology, but I see how helpful even that can be in, in exchanges around, around apologies and especially ones where you're still not sure if you're ready to let go or forgive, but you are willing to hear the apology from the other person. That magical... Your, um, oh. Yeah, go ahead. That magical, simple statement, thank you for the apology, is what parents and teachers need to learn if they want their children to apologize. Because all the children I interviewed who don't want to apologize... It's because instead of saying, thank you for the apology, the parent or the teacher has all kinds of add-ons, like, thank you for the apology, but, you know, next time maybe I won't have to ask you for it, and thank you for the apology, but, you know, you're not saying that, like, you really mean it, and you're looking down at your toes, you're not looking at your brother, and go back in your room, and, you know, think about how you hurt him, and kids tell me that, They don't want to apologize. They want to put their fingers in their ears because they know when they apologize, there's going to be these add-ons that make them feel what's the point. So with your, with children, this is, well, adults too, but with children, it's so important. Learn to say, thank you for the apology. And then if there's more to discuss, save it. Have another conversation about it. Yes, and I love how you talk about the importance of 
modeling apologizing as a way of helping children learn how to apologize. That's right. Children watch us. It's more what we do than, you know, what we might lecture them about. Yes, and there's no child quite as good at picking out when you're not walking your talk as your 10-year-old son. Take it from me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Harriet Lerner, thank you so much for coming back on Relationship Alive to chat with us. Your book, Why Won't You Apologize?, available in hardcover and paperback, is so instructive, and I found it to be such a helpful read as I pondered what works in in my relationship and what hasn't worked, and I, I got it spelled out pretty clearly why, along with the, the amusement, amusing aspect of just picking up a book called Why Won't You Apologize when I was having trouble doing that very thing. <laughs> Um, it's such a great honor to have you here on the show um, sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you, Neil. It's been a, a great conversation. Thank you. And as a reminder, if you are interested in our detailed show notes, you can pick them up at neilsatin.com slash apologize, or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.